If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. So we are ready for John chapter 4 today and look forward to our time together. This is one of my favorite stories in uh, the Gospel of John. I probably have taught more on the woman at the well than probably any other character or any other story in, um, in the book of John. And uh, I want to start by just recognizing that in this section we're going to be looking at the second of seven sermons or discourses. And so uh, each of these kind of gets us a little closer to the message of Jesus right before he uh, ascends into heaven. And so these, each of these messages, they get a little longer. This particular one, Jesus is actually going to identify uh, who he is to this woman, which is pretty neat. Uh, very few times has he ever just came out and said, hey, I'm the Messiah. But this is one of those unique places where that's basically what he's going to do. So I want to focus specifically on the ministry where he is doing work, the regions. There's going to be a couple slides that have some maps on them. Uh, this is specifically, it says here where it says, hang on, uh, this is near the Jordan River where obviously Jesus and his disciples were baptizing, which we're going to see here in the first three verses. And uh, then he'll move on into uh, Samaria and then move back towards uh, the northern part of the country. So let's focus on the first three verses. It says, Therefore, when the Lord knew the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and, and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. So the Pharisees here are kind of stirring up trouble, uh, as they were with, with John the baptizer. And so the two of them has kind of separated. Uh, Jesus' ministry is taking place in one region near the Jordan River. And then uh, John's is happening a little bit uh, further from that. And when we go into the later part of the chapter, we get to see Jesus's ministry kind of taking off. And John's is slowly fading because Jesus is doing miracles. Uh, part of his ministry is actually interacting with people uh, away from buildings, away from synagogues, away from religious people and where John was doing most of his sermons on the riverbank where he's just baptizing people uh, Jesus is starting to move into the cities and so John's kind of out in the wilderness which this idea of wilderness sometimes we get the misconception that it's kind of like a lot of trees but when the Bible uses the word wilderness it means out in the wild so it's usually desert country and so Jesus is kind of moving towards the cities where the population centers are uh, and by this time by the time Jesus has uh, suffers through the crucifixion. There are probably literally 
maybe maybe a hundred thousand or more people who actually had eye contact with Jesus. And this is another reason why it is absolutely impossible for atheists to say that Jesus didn't exist. Jesus absolutely existed. He was absolutely here, and it was confirmed by dozens and dozens of sources that he performed these miracles. And this is beside Christians in the first century who spoke of him in uh, being witnesses of him. So uh, these regions, it's very important as he goes around uh, the, this part of the world that lots of people are laying eyeballs on him. So it's not just a story of a man in a town doing miracles. He's actually coming to their towns and doing them. So there's a lot of people that are impacted by that. Uh, this, is, this is also a hard part of the story because he is... Jesus is having to deal with a lot of negative information. There's some things being spread about him. The Pharisees actually start a rumor that he is doing miracles, but not by the power of God. He's doing it by the power of the devil, Beelzebub. And Jesus, when they say it to his face, or at least they think it in front of him, he recognizes and understands their thoughts and says to them, you know, that's blasphemy to say that, that you're doing something by the power of the devil when really it's the power of God. And so that, that really takes off in Matthew and Mark's gospel. In John's, it's just kind of a passing footnote. So disciples are growing, disciples of John are declining, and Jesus starting to, his, his disciples are starting to baptize. And to clarify the previous section in chapter 3, when it says Jesus is, baptized, Jesus is baptizing more, John now says in a little footnote, oh, by the way, uh, John and Jesus are baptizing a lot of people, but Jesus is not doing it with his own hands, which means John is probably doing the baptisms himself without the help of his disciples. Jesus is doing something differently in that he's not actually doing the baptizing. And that's important moving forward because people will, if Jesus had baptized people with his own hands, uh, then people would have said, well, I was baptized by Jesus. You were baptized by Peter and kind of put him on a different level. So John... Right immediately after he said, Jesus is baptizing more people, he says he did not do it with his own hands. It was the disciples that were performing uh, these baptisms. And that's, that kind of puts to end a controversy maybe that had been spreading at this day. So uh, it's very important also that you notice that he's commissioned 70 people and then 120 disciples that end up being at the, like the upper room. But he's got his 12, but he's also got his 70. And so these guys are going out two by two, which means there were how many groups? 45, right? 35 groups. Sorry. Yeah, Ben. They, uh, when they were baptized, they were baptized like John for remission. Yeah. And, and not into the name of Jesus. Right. Yeah, so we would assume that they were, if, if you're going to be put, added to the church, you, you need to be rebaptized. I mean, we would assume that they probably did. Yeah. Another thing is, uh, at that time, it was awfully all the way around six apostles at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they weren't. He hadn't chosen all of them. No. But when he gets the 12, like I said, he'll gain then 70, and then he moves up to about 120. So this is a pretty large group. But at the time of John 4, it's just a handful. And we don't know how many total by the time uh, Jesus dies on the cross that were like fringe disciples. I, I consider Nicodemus to be one of those that's kind of on the fringe. He's never named as a disciple, but he's the one who was defending Jesus here in John 8 and 9, and then he also is the one who anoints the body of Jesus. And John's, John's the only gospel writer that really tells us that, and it's because he introduced him as a character in John chapter 3. And so we're learning more about this Nicodemus character 
from John. Yeah. One other thing I want to tell you. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of things that are mentioned in the scriptures and one of John. Right. That the apostles were not even there. Yeah. Well, how did they know all this? It had to be the Holy Spirit. Yeah, definitely the Holy Spirit. But I, I do believe that um, Luke is a scholar. Matthew's a scholar too. Matthew does a lot of book, chapter, and verse references the Old Testament. But I think uh, what what Luke says at the very beginning in the first few verses of his letter, and then the same thing when he writes his second part, which is the book of Acts, he says that he did his best to put together a timeline of events for this man Theophilus to see that it's historically accurate, which tells me that Luke did his research. Um, it is traditionally thought Matthew and John, being both apostles, wrote their Gospels independently. Uh, Matthew early, John's late. But the other two Gospels are unique in that the Gospel of Luke, no doubt, was influenced highly by the Apostle Paul. Or Paul wasn't with Jesus at the cross. He, he, may, have been, he may have seen or heard Jesus and throughout his ministry, but that's not stated in Scripture. But he comes along late, and so he and Luke are doing their research and presenting the facts. Where John Mark is very small little gospel, 16 chapters, and Mark is taking uh, Peter's uh, viewpoint. So Peter uh, had helped mentor John Mark. That You see that in Peter's letter as well. So scholars believe that Matthew gives his testimony, John gives his testimony, but Luke gathers research from as many sources as he can. He and Paul present his gospel, and where John Mark actually gathers information and presents Peter's perspective. So that's that's kind of the way we view it from that point of view. Um, John and Matthew knew Jesus a whole lot more, but the other gospel writers would have compiled these stories. So some of the things that are circulated are by eyewitnesses and it doesn't give us a reference as to who I witnessed it. It could have been that this was John. It could have been somebody told John. But um, but it's put in the gospel as, as truth. So everything that's in the word of God is absolutely true. Uh, but there are some events too. It's really odd how details are in one part of one story in one gospel and they're left out of another. And I would just think of that like um, if, if all of us were to give a story about like what kind of donuts were in the box this morning? You know, well, we, we, we would probably pick the one that we ate. Could we, could we, could we give a, uh, a character sketch of each color of each donut in the area in which they were in the box? Probably not. But we would probably recognize a few common things. So anytime something happens uh, in a court of law, there have to be witnesses that can prove, can testify that they saw it with their own eyes. So that's why these Gospels are so important that they are written early. Were there others? Maybe. But they weren't circulated enough to become read or to be read in, in worship. These were actually read in the assemblies. And so they were preserved and well protected. That's a good question. Um, as for the baptisms, that's always a difficult question. We don't know. We'll have to ask when we get there. But... Uh, some people say that uh, John and Jesus baptizing for the same thing, for remission of sins, and therefore that baptism would have carried over into the New Testament church. Others believe that it's possible that this was just a temporary baptism until they got to the cross. I would just say that there's one fact we know, and that is very simply, you can't be a Christian outside of the church. And the church isn't established until Acts chapter 2. 
And so at the baptism that takes place there, it does say they were added to them, but I don't think it means added to them in baptism. I think it means added to together collectively as the, as the church. So uh, it's very possible that the apostles baptized each other. What we do know also is that, that Peter says that baptism for remission of sins wasn't enough. He says that baptism for remission of sins, also the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so for a person to be immersed in Christ, that's how you get in contact with the Holy Spirit, according to Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8. So if they were going to be baptized into the church, it would seem that it was uh, that they rebaptized each other. But we really don't know. It's hard to take a position. Yeah. Well, just as Jesus told Nicodemus, unless you're born of the water and the spirit. Right. So there's two parts of it. That's right. And then the spirit part, and when you are baptized into Christ, is that when you come up, you receive the gift of those two. Right. And without that, you cannot enter heaven. That's right. So you have to be, that's a very good point. John chapter 3, you have to be born of water and spirit. And these right here in the wilderness were baptized in water only. And Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need to be baptized in water and spirit. But that conversation takes place before the establishment of the church. Uh, I would look at like Galatians. I would look at um, some thoughts Paul has in chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. I would look also, like I said, Romans 6 and Romans 8 and see the necessity of uh, baptism into Christ for the remission of sins in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and be given the Holy Spirit as a, as a gift. Yeah. When John was coming to prepare the way, why was he even baptized? That's a good question. I think that he is trying to practice what we call mikvah baptisms, where if there are people under the old law, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, you went through a proselyte conversion, and the mikvah that was considered to be a baptism under the old law, they were immersing people and saying, now you're born again into the family of God as a Jew. And so, uh, but it also sets a precedent that, that God is going to require some kind of a water baptism in the church. But I think these are mikvah baptisms. I think they're converting proselytes. I think they're, they're taking people who were Gentiles, turning them into Jews. In fact, most of the ones that are coming to him are tax collectors. And they may be people that have, they were Jewish, but they, uh, maybe they, for whatever reason, were not sincere in their faith. And so it's kind of like a renewal. You know, a lot of couples do renewal of vows and things like that. Maybe this was seen as kind of a spiritual renewal, that they could be cleansed and get up and and. and be given a, a fresh new slate. Uh, yeah. Right now, I can't remember exactly where it was, but the scriptures <laughs> teach us that they had uh, those that were preaching the gospel, mm -hmm. but uh, I can't remember who it was that told, told them, uh, asked them if they had been baptized, and they said they didn't even know about right. the baptism for the Jesus, yeah. and Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so they took them aside and explained to them more perfectly, and then they were baptized into Christ mm -hmm. because all they knew was the baptism of John. That's right. That's in Acts chapter eighteen or eighteen or nineteen, where uh, they have to have this conversation, and and Paul tells them, if you hadn't been baptized and received the Holy Spirit, then you need to be baptized again. And so it would make sense that if the baptism of John wasn't good enough to save in Acts 18, then why would we think it was good enough to save in Acts 2? So um, 
so I think it's very possible that they baptize them again. Um, um, I don't know. I lean that way a little bit, but I can see both points of view. So nevertheless, they were, we know they were saved, and we know that what they taught after that was you need to be baptized immediately and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it would make sense. Well, it's kind of like now. He, some people, they think they were baptized for the right reason, right. but they weren't, you know. And so what you have to show them, you know, I mean, they may have even been immersed, but they right. weren't immersed, you know, through Jesus for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it has to be explained because, I mean, there are good, honest people that truly believe that they were baptized for the right reason. That's right. And so we have I, to make sure not to condemn them, but to make sure that they understand. I think that comes back to, like, the thought in Scripture where work out your own salvation. And so uh, I will say this, too. There's absolutely nothing wrong with going through uh, the process of being baptized again. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't want to make a mockery of baptism, but if someone has a question or a concern as to whether or not they're truly right, I would say almost always in those cases, do it again. Because uh, it's, it's better to know. Uh, I do think there are a lot of people, religious people that we know that think that they are baptized into Christ, but they have not been baptized into Christ. They've just been baptized into uh, a church. In fact, I asked somebody once, I said, um, you know, what, what was your baptism for? And they said, and I said, well, did they vote on it? And this person says, well, I don't, I guess so. I said, so they, you, they baptized you and they said, now how many of you think they can come into the church? And they voted on it. I said, that's not New Testament uh, Christianity. So if you're voted into the church, uh, that's not the New Testament church. That's a, a denominational church. The Bible teaches us that at the moment of salvation, you're added to the body of Christ. Acts chapter 2. Um, but it, again, these, these are great examples of things that we, we don't know the answer. The scriptures do not give us a confirmed answer. So we just have to look at it and say, well, they were baptized for mission of sins after this. And that's the only thing Paul taught. That's the only thing that Peter taught. Uh, every time there's an example, those are, what's, those are the examples of what's done. Well, let's look at um, starting at verse 4. It says, uh, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, if you're looking at this from a... Uh, from a uh, word study perspective, the word here used means he was constrained, he was compelled, uh, and he had to go through Samaria. They usually would go out and around Samaria, they would take the long road around Samaria, and so uh, Jesus is having to get up through here to Sychar, and they would go around as far as they could and come back up. Uh, and Jesus has to go through Samaria before he gets to Jerusalem. So again, they're baptizing here, he needs to get here, and it would, they'd have to cross and come back around. Uh, and Jesus says, no, we're going to take the straight road. And so they come straight through. Uh, verse 5. So he came to a city in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now jo Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the wall. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who said to you, Give me a drink, you'd have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered and said, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will be, become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You've said well that I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have is not your husband, that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say in Jerusalem, the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you and he. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled and he talked to the woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking to her? The woman then left her water pot, went on her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out to the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. Therefore his disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. You do not say there are still four do you not say there are four months till the harvest, then four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So let's pause there for just a minute. I'm going to jump into 39. I know it says 42, but I'm going to jump in there in just a second. It's a lot of really good information. So Jesus is stopping for water, which is a uh, not that uncommon when you're traveling through a city. You stop and get you something to drink. And so he knows the well, obviously. He stops, tells the disciples go into town, which was very awkward. They're not supposed to be there. They didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans, but they're going to go buy food. Jesus tells them to go buy food and drink or whatever that they've had on their little list, their checklist. But Jesus takes the moment to be in a, an environment where he can teach this woman. And nobody else is there. It's just the two of them. Uh, it's important to remember that uh, that one of the reasons why she's there late in the day is because she doesn't want to talk to anybody. She has a very checkered past. And so she's probably coming after she knows all the other ladies have left. And this woman is thirsty. She obviously needs the drink for her and for uh, the man who she's living with. Uh, and uh, again, not wanting to talk to anybody. And Jesus takes the opportunity to break down some barriers. And for people who study this, they may say, well, Jesus is empowering these women to go and be disciples and all this stuff. That's outside of the context. She does go to town and tell people what he did, but she says, come see him, come listen to him. Uh, nevertheless, there are 
going to draw all these Samaritans in. So the way it goes is the northern kingdom had split from the southern kingdom. If you've read through the Old Testament, you know that there reaches this point after Solomon dies, uh, his sons and leaders end up splitting the kingdom into two factions. There is ten that are the northern kingdom, and there's two uh, and, and a half. <laughs> so uh, they're taken into captivity. Now the northern kingdom falls very early, and that's where the Samaritans come from. They intermarry to, for their own safety. They fear for their own lives. Uh, where the southern kingdom is taken off uh, by the uh, Assyrians, uh, the, the Ninevites, that's, those are their Assyrians, and then uh, they fall to the Persians. And so the Persians, the means of the Persian kingdom rises up and they take these prisoners of war into their own kingdom and they slowly are going to either make them slaves, uh, free them, or send them home. And from Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther, we know they sent them home. And so these, these uh, tribes will end up coming back. But they really did not like the Samaritans when they got back because they saw them as half-breeds. They saw them as uh, pagans. Uh, they wanted nothing to do with them. They should have been faithful to God, kept the Ten Commandments, but they did not. And uh, you can read again, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Uh, Haggai is the older prophet. He was, uh, what we get from the context is he's old enough that he probably remembered the temple before the 70 years. So he's an old man. Zechariah is the younger prophet, and he's uh, got a whole lot more to say. He's got several chapters about what's going on when they come back into the city. If you want to read the history of it, you need to read Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah and Lamentations talk about, from a prophetic perspective, that the people were not ready. They, uh, they were becoming more and more uh, idolatrous. But they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the walls, they rebuild the structures, uh, but they do not bring back the monarchy. And I always, I always point this out when I'm studying those books. They knew who the kings were. They knew the lineage of the kings. But for whatever reason, when they come back from captivity, they do not restore the monarchy. They don't put who should be king back in power. They decided that that was a bad idea. Now, they don't make a public declaration, we're not going to have kings anymore. But that's what happens. And when there is no power, there is a void. And that vacuum is filled by an Edomite lineage, which ends up being uh, King Herod on the throne. And so you have an Edomite king from Esau. So <laughs> Jacob's boys can't get along, so Esau's family comes to power. And he's put in power by the, basically by the government, and uh, by the Roman government. He is, he is seen as the king. Uh, the Samaritans wanted to help them, but they refused to help. They didn't want their help building the temple. They said, we don't want anything to do with you. Again, read Nehemiah. Uh, Samaria was also located between Galilee and Judea. And so you, you have to walk through here, or at least close to it, before you get to Jerusalem. Uh, there are other ways to get around it, but it's a much longer journey. And most of them included water trips. You either have to get out of the Mediterranean or you have to go through the Sea of Galilee to get around. That's why a lot of these guys are fishermen. They, they did not want to touch their foot on Samaritan ground. They just didn't want to do it. And so it's a forbidden country. And this city, Sychar, by the way, is the city of Shechem in the Old Testament. It's changed names, but it's still Shechem. If you remember the story of Shechem in the book of Genesis, a terrible tragedy took place here uh, in that Dinah, the boy's sister, Jacob's uh, daughter, was taken captive by uh, the prince of this country. 
and uh, refused to let her go. So uh, Jacob goes and tries to negotiate, finds out that they want to keep her, and he just basically says, fine, keep her. The boys are not happy with that. So two guys, two of the 12 sons, Levi and Simeon, are so upset <clears throat> that they go back to Shechem. And they say, hey, tell you what, we'll let you keep our sister and we'll be friendly to you as long as every male is circumcised. And so for whatever reason, the Shechemites said, sure, we'll do it. And so on the third day, the Bible says, when they were very much in pain, <laughs> Levi and Simeon came back and slaughtered them all, slaughtered all the men. So this is the story of Shechem, is this uh, terrible tragedy between Jacob's sons and other local folks. So Jacob's sons are coming now through this region. What are they going to do? How are they going to respond? Uh, if, just like when you go to foreign countries, there are some places where uh, there's still some animosity between us and other nations. We, we don't teach history much anymore to our kids, but there are some places that you could go uh, and regardless of how well you feel about yourself and the country of the United States, uh, you're not looked upon the same. You are seen as a, a, you know, a, a, a terrible person. But there are other countries we may go and everybody's like, oh, America, we love America. Uh, and this is a region that they would have been afraid to travel through. They would be afraid they'd be killed. So it was a harsh territory. And this is, of all the cities, Shechem is a forbidden city. You know, the children of Jacob slaughtered thousands of men here. Why would they come back? I know it's been, you know, probably uh, around 2,000 years at least since then. But they still didn't want to go there. Yeah, Jacob told his sons that they had made him stink That's right. in the land. And that, uh, you know, they could never redo that mm -hmm. and so his reputation was tainted right as a result and uh jacob withdrew their inheritance yeah in, in the end of in genesis uh I, it fascinates me too how many little things are said but there's not a lot of detail given about it but it sh we show that um, reuben is the oldest and he his his birthright is taken because uh when when uh rachel died Okay, so you got Rachel and Leah. Leah had a handmaid that also had children with Jacob. And Rebecca, oh, pardon me, Rachel also had a handmaid, Bilhah and Zilpah. And those two handmaids also had children that made up the 12 sons and Dinah. So when Reuben finds out his mother is, well, his step, how's that? Stepmom? Goodness. His stepmom dies. The woman, uh, Deborah, who had nursed Jacob since a child, dies. And Isaac, Jacob's father, dies. And this all happens right around Genesis 35. So all these people in Jacob's life are dead. He's, he's had to bury his dad. He's had to bury the woman who raised him. And he's now had to bury his favorite wife. So Reuben decides he'll take Rachel's handmaid as his own. So Reuben starts to sleep with one of his stepmoms. Ooh. And this woman has children that are his brothers. And so Jacob removes the birthright from Reuben. When Simeon and Levi then slaughter the city of Shechem, they are removed from the birthright. So it is the fourth son of Jacob, Judah, that is given the birthright, is given the inheritance, if you will. And it is through Judah that comes Christ. That's the reason why when you read it, Judah's the fourth kid 
but he's actually the one who gets the blessing from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then now Judah. So Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. Does that make sense? So it's just little details. <clears throat> I know we're way off subject, but I just love that stuff. I eat it up. It's kind of obvious. <laughs> I just I love history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The test. We're gonna have a test. Yeah, but it, it, one of the reasons why I think those things fascinate me is I didn't learn a lot of Old Testament as a kid in Bible class. We had David and Goliath. We had the you know the creation event. We studied about Noah and the ark and Moses and the burning bush. That's about it. We didn't get Jeremiah. We didn't get Ezra. We had Esther in one night on a vacation Bible school, and that was it. So a lot of the Old Testament stuff, we have to study on our own. We have to learn it. Um, and I think there's a lot of really neat things there, and I love history. So this is one of those neat things. Yeah, James? There's a, there's a lot of things that we, we probably don't understand. We don't think about it. I didn't think about it or, or don't think about it. I've been watching what's going on over in the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. And realize just how little I know about the Bible land. Yeah. And if we don't understand where the various cities are, how do we know where Jesus traveled from this place to that place and and the effort that was put forth in getting you know what I'm saying? Right. We really need to study the 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 maps a little right. bit more to have a better understanding of mm -hmm. these cities and where they are. Yeah, there's, uh, of course, you, we're familiar with, at least in our lifetime, the Zionist movement. And there's a, there's a large movement of, since World War II, basically, a lot of Jews around the world have decided to come back home. They, they're coming back to Jerusalem. They feel like they have a place uh, that is by birthright given to them. Um, and we as a nation, along with, uh, I guess... We use the United Nations as an example. The United Nations was formed in the aftermath and all the smoke of World War II. In fact, um, trying to remember if it was, I don't think it was, maybe it was Roosevelt that came up with a plan. Uh, who was it that had the 40 points? Who was that? It was came up with 40 points. My brain's fried today. And one of those points that he felt like could be good to save from World War I into World War II to help save the world from being in uproar all the time, was to establish uh, what he called a League of Nations, and it ended up becoming the United Nations, the only point that was taken from the 40 points. But the United Nations had to step in and say, hey, look, we, we need to protect these individuals because there were millions of Jews that were slaughtered in World War II. And not to mention World War I. There's always been a race war over there from, uh, from when you look at Nazism, the idea of trying to cleanse and purge the people to get down to just one core race. And uh, so because of that, we have supported and we always have supported people getting back to their homeland. Unfortunately, uh, the Arabs in the area think that's a bad idea because they had control of it. Not all of it, but some of it. It's like even with the West Bank as an example, you know, part of that, uh, actually most of it at one time was actually Jewish territory. And a lot of people don't know that the, the Jews, uh, those are from Israel there, in the land, they gave a portion, that Gaza Strip, they, they allowed the Arab people to come in, the Palestinians to come in and take that land. It was kind of like their way of saying, you know, we don't want war, and so we're going to give you some of this land that we, they rightly owned back. But that was not enough for the Palestinians. They want all of Israel. And so those large cities where they have huge population centers of Jews, that's where they're, that's where they're bombing, because they want those 
those large cities, and then they'll take over the whole country. Yeah. It's hard for us to understand all of the animosity that they have over there. Yeah. Unless you read it and get it from the Bible or uh, ancient history, mm -hmm. because all of these are relatives yeah. that don't like each other. That's right. And, uh, you know, just from the small bits and pieces of history in this country, you know, that's the worst kind of animosity is between relatives. Right. And, uh, you know, it's generational. It is, and they're taught from birth to hate. Um, like, for instance, if you're uh, if you're a Muslim, when you're a child, they will take and dip their finger in honey, and they will touch the tongue of the child with that honey and say, "Allah is good. Allah is good." So every time that child hears the term Allah, he recognizes good and good taste. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. You might have seen it on TV, but they, they was teaching uh, talking about. It. Teaching the kids math. Mm -hmm. If you had four Jews and you killed yeah. one, how many would you have? Yeah, left? that's basic. Um, in fact, I, you know, it's funny, even with Chinese uh, education, have you ever seen a Chinese kindergarten book? Like, circle the AK 47. Which one is a grenade? And, you know, we're like, oh my goodness. You know, in this country, they don't even want you to have a gun, but we, we have them. Thank goodness. But those countries, they, they're saying here, this is a weapon that you can use. Which one is the AK? Which one is the bomb? Which one is the fighter? Which one is the... And you can get those little kindergarten... You can download them on the internet. And you read it and you're just like, wow, these kids are learning uh, their enemies in kindergarten. And we have taught our kids, we've got to love everybody. You know, you got to love everybody. you got to love people. And you should... you got to love yourself and be yourself. And... And, you know, you be whatever gender you want. That's fine. And so, but these kids are learning warfare. So that's what scares me. Is, they teach you in the cartoons. Yeah, even in their cartoons. Yeah, they yeah. sure do. And so they teach you um, systematic racism as an infant, even though you look the same. In fact, we often get confused. I've heard people, uh, there was a guy wearing a cap um, in, the, I think it was in the uh, Pensacola Airport. And he was a Sikh, and I knew he was. I could tell by the way he was dressed, but people thought he was Islamic, and they were kind of nervous and panicking. And I was like, no, he's a Sikh. Sikhism, Jainism, that's another Middle Eastern religion. Uh, it's actually, I think Sikhism's in the top six of all religions in the world, but most Christians don't even know what it is. So we just assume everybody that's uh, a certain color of skin or with a certain accent, we make that mistake all the time. You ever gone into a gas station and hear somebody talking with an accent? And you're like, oh, I wonder if they're Islamic. No, they're Hindu. Most of them are Hindu. So they're, they're from India. But that's totally different. They don't even, I mean, they look a little bit the same, but the, the language is completely different. The religion is completely different. And so we, we oftentimes, we, we panic. We kind of overcorrect when it comes to, to that. But, but in these nations, they are taught systematic racism and, and, and uh, against certain religions from birth. They're anti-Christian and anti-Jew. And they will do. They have made it their mission to, to slaughter as many infidels as possible. It's written in the Quran. Uh, also, too, like you said, Lewis, there's there's this example in Genesis between Ishmael's descendants. Ishmael immediately has twelve kids. So Isaac doesn't, and he, it's not until Jacob that he has twelve kids. So Ishmael has twelve kids right off the bat. And I'll tell you what, this is something else that is uh, often not taught. If you will read in the book of Genesis, and you will read whenever uh, Sarah dies, Abraham is not there. 
Abraham is not living in the tent with Sarah and Isaac. And if you'll look at the text, it will tell you that after he buries her, see, he has to go into town and find out where he can get a burial plot. I, Abraham and Sarah were not living together. So when she dies, no wonder Isaac's so devastated. He, where's he going to live? Who's he going to be with? And after they bury her, Isaac, and it, it's after Isaac is nearly sacrificed that it happens. Isaac goes to live with Sarah, and Abraham goes to another region. Well, what's he doing? If you'll look at the city where he's living, he's living next to Ishmael. He's living next to Hagar and the family. So in a way, he, he almost did not necessarily abandon Sarah, but he went to go live with his children. Why did he live with the 12 kids? Because those 12 kids had grandkids. So he went to stay near Ishmael and his family. So then he marries Keturah, which is a, another wife from that region. And he has multiple kids with her. Sarah's only got one kid. You know, and he loves Isaac. You know, he's his beloved son. But he's got way more kids over there in that region. That's where he's at. And when he gets done with the funeral, he goes right back over to that area. So it's easy for us to look at it from a Jewish Christian perspective because we have the Bible. But you haven't read the Quran. And you haven't read the prophets of the Quran that teach that Ishmael really was the chosen child, not Isaac. And Ishmael had the children of promise, not Isaac. And Ishmael had many wells dug by Abraham. This is one dug by Jacob. But Ishmael also had many, many wells that were dug. And so they, they basically established their own religion. And so it's not uncommon to see this happen when there's, when there's uh, a fighting, infighting between families that they'll end up moving completely over this way, religiously speaking, politically speaking. And the opposite will happen over here. So Jews and uh, at least those of, of, of of this age, we're talking about in Genesis and Exodus, a lot of those uh, individuals of the tribes were, they thought themselves to be separated from Ishmael and they did not fellowship with Ishmael. Same thing with Jacob and Esau. Esau's boys created the Edomites and Jacob goes over here. Lot, Lot's two boys or two daughters have two sons, which is one of those is the Moabites. And so the Moabites end up becoming this enemy to all of the nations that were born out of children or grandchildren of Abraham were against the 12 sons of Jacob. And that happens even today. And there are many Jews in other countries. I did a series at Gulf Shores once where we, we showed what happened to the 12 tribes. All, not all 12, but maybe 10 of them at least, we can know where they went, where they landed. I think the best example is Denmark. The Danites went to as north as they could go to Denmark. It's called Denmark now, but that's where the Danites went. Um, the Levi and Simeon took off and went to uh, Britain. And if you'll, I didn't get that. I know you didn't. Nope. So, uh, but anyways, you look at all those all those tribes spread out because they were under such harsh persecution. But the two tribes and a half that were loyal stayed in Jerusalem. But the rest of those tribes are all over the place. And so every single one of those of, of Ishmael and of the sons of Keturah hate the children of Jacob. And they have been taught since childhood, you are the chosen one, not Isaac. And, and so it would be today, we're going in saying, you guys separate, you need to get along. And got along for 4,000 years. So what makes us think that we're going to go in and we're going to settle this dispute? Um, not. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And, uh, and so what is it? What do we practice? Genocide of one race? Which side do you choose? You know, we would never do that. And so what we'll do is we'll move in and we'll kind of settle it and have a little peace for a little while. 
you know, it'll come right back. This has lasted a little longer than the Six Days War, but, and this will probably go on for quite some time. If we get involved, it's going to be much uglier. But uh, at this point, uh, understanding a little bit of the history probably is a good thing. Um, I, I know it's, uh, it would probably be good for us all to study where, where these lines are drawn and why they're drawn the way they are for these countries. But that's the, that's the Ray Reynolds summary of what's happening in Israel, is uh, when they came back after, after facing World War, near extinction, the Jews had come home, uh, they resettled in the land that the people there had stayed put and tried to save, and then they ended up, out of a peaceful way to stop some of the warfare, gave the Palestinians a portion, the Gaza Strip, they gave that to them to say, hey, look, don't kill us. And they still want to kill them. It's really hard to negotiate with terrorists. Yeah, well, they got a mindset. And the thing is, is you know, at certain times, some of your historians even say that some of the Indian tribes in this country were from the children of Abraham. Yeah. I think we're learning more now. For whatever reason, God has chosen to reveal it to us now instead of a thousand years ago. But we're finding more and more settlements of Egyptians and of even of the Native Americans with some Jewish influence. Uh, there's no doubt that there's Spanish influence because of the, 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 all the different uh, crusades that came over and exploration from various, uh, various different groups. But when it comes to uh, Egypt, they're, you know, they're finding hieroglyphs now in the Grand Canyon. And they do not know how they got there, and they do not know how long they've been there. But they're assuming, and these are Egyptian-style hieroglyphs. What on earth are those doing in the United States? What is, where did that come from? It could be just ironic that they chose very similar symbols and stuff. But people traveled a whole lot more than we think they did. And so there's, we, we, we don't have a corner on anything. We weren't the first one. You know, in fact, I, I, Columbus Day is great. We get a day off. But all he did was stake a flag in somebody else's yard. That's all he did. Y'all you know, are, are Indians. Uh, no, we're not. <laughs> and he stuck a flag and we go, you know, he, he found it. He found North America. He didn't find North America. That happened many years before. You talk about Leif Erikson. You can talk about a lot of those guys that, um, that traveled the world and found countries. And so Egypt must have found their way over here, just like the Spanish did. But they may have done it 2,000 years earlier. We don't know. Well, there's, there's a lot of talk, and I, I do believe this um, wholeheartedly, that uh, Indians have kept such a good record of, you know, lineages that they, they can prove that they've, they've lived here in the United States at least 20 to 25, if not 50,000 years ago, you know, and they can, they can prove that. Right. That's, it's, it is interesting how there are some similarities to the Native Americans and to uh, very early Jewish settlements. I don't know that they they necessarily, Jews weren't known to travel like that, but somehow people traveled, whether it was that the there was more land available and less water, I don't know. But I know that after the Tower of Babel, they all spread out. And so it's possible that some went a little further north and a little further north. I mean, look at us. We, where all did we come from? We don't even know. You know, we, we've got a pretty good idea. We can run the 33 and me or whatever it is, you know, or is it 23 and me or 23 and me? If you can run that, I don't even know how many chromosomes we have. But anyways, it's, uh, 
you get to see kind of where you came from, and we have no really no clue, but we've learned English. Uh, we from birth. I mean, we were taught that language, and we were raised in a certain culture, a certain area. So we have a different inflection with our voice and different accents. And it's pretty neat. So imagine in ten thousand years or five thousand years what it would look like. English probably be a dead language. We wouldn't even know the way people speak then. Um, this is kind of neat. And I do think, too, one other point about this story is not only is she coming at a time where uh, she doesn't want to be talked to, but there's a couple things she says in the text that tells us she's done with this conversation. And I think one of them is when he says, uh, you know, I, you're right, you don't have a husband. You, you had several guys. Now, I, I'm going to tell you this, the most impactful part of the whole story of this John chapter 4. Jesus says, will you... Give me water. And she says, you don't have anything to dip with. All right? In these days, oftentimes, you may have a cup to drink with. But when you're at the well, you have a dipper. Okay? Like the little dipper, the big dipper, right? Big old, big old, it's like a chili spoon, you know? So they would take that drink. Now, here, here's, to me... Every detail is different. Uh, every, uh, you may be impacted, but one of mine that gets me every time when I read the story, how many men has this woman been with? Now, we know the ones he addresses, but how many other men has she been passed around to? Would you drink from that cup? Would you drink from that cup? Ask yourself that question. And, you know, she's got STDs. She's got, she's got baggage. You... Would you drink from that cup? Would you drink from that cup? No! You're not drinking from that cup. But Jesus says, let's be in fellowship. And he's willing to drink after this woman. I don't drink after my own kids. Yeah, but he can cure himself. Yeah, that's true. Isn't it? That's... Drop the mic. That was it. That was it. He can heal himself. Yeah. <laughs> Tell the apostles, look, don't do it. I did it, but don't do it. Well, you know, I don't know whether all those folks were as germophobic yeah. as we are. True. Now. True. Yeah. Some people are, well, in my estimation, are ridiculous. But, you know. Well, I used to drink out of the garden hose in the yard. I didn't know that it was wrong. I mean, I never thought anything of it. Why is it wrong? I guess it's got <laughs> parasites in it. Uh, hey, hey, we all did. We're still here. I know. We're still surviving. We, we were on a creek one time. We were drinking water out of the creek. And um, we are making our way upstream. And there was like a dead raccoon or something laying in the water. And I'm like, oh, no. Then we drank from the same stream with, ah, oh, well, you know. And, hey, funny story. Yeah. My granddaddy, when he uh, was older, he had dementia. And he got lost. And they had 340 acres in Marino County. And they called the... Rescue squad, they had everybody, and they looked for days for him. Finally, they found him, and he was coming down the creek. And so the ones that found him said, Big Daddy, did you, you, you drank water all the way? He said, No, because the cows been in that creek. I didn't drink it. <laughs> <laughs> and they drank it all. Drinking <laughs> out of it. I he mean, didn't know where he was, but he knew not to breathe out right. of that creek. <laughs> Man, you know, we, I, I know I, I get paranoid about that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, even a rabbi could not speak out in public with his daughter or his wife in public. You didn't talk to a woman in public. 
You didn't share a drink with a woman in public. Nevertheless, a Samaritan woman. Oh, by the way, with a questionable reputation. So Jesus is setting a precedent here that this woman deserves an opportunity to hear the gospel as much as anybody else. And his apostles are, are like, who gave him water? Who gave him food? Did y'all give him something? He says, no, I'm full based on something you don't know about. And that's living water, the bread of life, which we'll get to later. And he says, I, I have what I need to sustain me. And so I just really think that is neat. But his apostles didn't see it the same way. Uh, let's just read it. Interesting that there was no question in the woman at the well of mine that yeah. Jesus was a Jew. Right. You know, and I don't know how they recognized each other, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah. it was evidently kind of obvious. I, I know we all struggle with Asians because I've been corrected more than one time, uh, you know, talking to <laughs> yeah. a Chinese, and he said, I'm not Chinese. Right. He says, I'm Korean. Right. Well, all right. Yeah. You know, so I just call them Asians. I don't try and separate them out anymore. Right. Well, and we, the hard part is, in our effort to try to be more politically correct, uh, people have taken advantage of that, and so the terminology changes. You know, when I was when I was in college, I have a real good friend that's black, and he said, don't ever call me African-American. Don't ever. He said, don't say that. I said, well, everybody else says that's the, and no, he says, I'm not African. I'm an American. He said, I'm black. You want to call me something? Call me black. I said, okay, I can do that. But other people would be the opposite. And now I see African-Americans kind of become a taboo term. It's just like with, like you said, we have to use uh, Oriental is the term that we use because we don't know if it's uh, Korean or if it's Japanese or Chinese or something like that. So we, we're so paranoid that we, in fact, our kids are paranoid now as to whether or not they can say yes ma'am or yes sir because of the identity of the person they're speaking to who's decided they're non-binary and they're male today and female tomorrow. So they, I mean, we're, we've taught this political correctness to a point now where it is absurd. I mean, it's going to be like, yes, Miss Kitty Cat. You know, that's, what, that's where we are. You know, it's uh, yes, Mr. Dog. You know, um, I just, anyway. You're, um, you're exactly right. Because where I came from, where I come from, uh, a town called Slidon, being Mr. Colorado, no joke. At the school, there are Furbies. Yeah. And there's, there's litter boxes outside of the bathroom <laughs> for the people yeah. that want to be Furby. Yeah. And there's a litter box outside the yeah, I mean, if I were a kid in today's world, I would, I would, I would be severely tempted to use it every time, and say, "Well, I don't know. Maybe I identify as one today, and not tomorrow. You know, maybe tomorrow I'm going to be a." a, a that is just to me, it's disgusting. It's, um, it's, it's not. It can't be sanitary, um, and so if they are going to use the litter box, do they also use? Do, I mean, you got to put out doggy bowls for them to drink out of, right? They can't use a water fountain, you know, so, but that's basically to take away all rules. And we think we're going to be able to sustain an attack on this country. I mean, these kids like, you know, now wait a minute. I can't, you can't do this to us. We're peaceful. Uh, they'll, they'll kill women and children like that. And, and they've proven it. We've got to get a backbone. So we got to do and teach our kids to stand up for what's right. Um, and it's important to love all people. But when it comes to our enemies, uh, there is a time for righteous indignation. 
and we have to be able to, to protect ourselves and protect other innocents. So, like David versus Goliath, mm -hmm. we're, we're David and we're fighting Goliath all yeah. the time. That's right. It's a good analogy. <clears throat> all right, so we will pick up here uh, in two weeks. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldswrap.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.